This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. Hi, my name is Peter Tomasi. Hi, this is James Hyman IV. Hi, I'm Dan Jurgens. Hey, I'm Duncan Wynn. This is Jim Leon. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. This is Mark Hamill speaking. This is Kevin Conroy. This is Tim Sale. Hello, everyone. I'm Batman, and you're listening to my podcast. Hello and welcome to the Batman Universe Comic <laughs> Podcast, episode 5 of season 13. Infinite Frontier begins! After four episodes and two months of DC Future State, we have finally arrived at Infinite Frontier, which isn't really a relaunch, but it's a new jumping on point. And so I'm extremely excited for you to join us on our comic reviews and thoughts. I'm your host, Ian, and with me I have... This is Steph. And this is Dio. We don't have very much news this week. There was an announcement that there would be a Batman Fortnite crossover comic written by Christos Gage, art by Christian Duce, and a couple other artists. It's going to be digital first and then release in individual issues and then, of course, be collected. Christos Gage is fine. He did the um, tie-in comic to the Telltale Batman game, which was, again, fine, but it didn't really... I played the Telltale Batman game and it didn't feel that connected to it, so I was a little disappointed. I don't play Fortnite, so I probably won't have that comparison. We also have an announcement of the Infinite Frontier miniseries event starting in June, written by Joshua Williamson. He might actually have some co-writers or backup feature writers. We'll see if this is an event on the same scale as Death Metal. I hope not, because I'm still kind of fatigued by just how big that event was. So I'd like a, a smaller type of event, but we'll see. Maybe hype will be big. And of course, we'll be talking a lot about at least the Batman sections of Infinite Frontier this week. But before we do that, we're going to jump right into our reviews of Batman number 106. I am vengeance. I am the knight. I am Batman. Batman 106, written by James Tynan Fort, art by Jorge Jimenez. In the future, Batman has been captured by Scarecrow. He thinks back to the present, where Oracle is monitoring him in his stripped-down Batmobile, chasing down the Insanity Collective, a high-tech, transhumanist gang of thieves. He ejects into the air to land on the Collective's aircraft, while Ghostmaker takes out the motorcycle members. Holly desperately tries to catch up, but it's too late. Meanwhile, billionaire Simon Saint proposes the magistrate program to Mayor Nakano, who rejects it, as Scarecrow watches from the rooftop. At Fort Gate neighborhood, Bruce is rich, but still poor than him neighbor complains to the curious reporters, while Bruce spars with Ghostmaker in his basement. Mayor Nakano arrives at home, where someone has rigged a Scarecrow dummy in his bedroom. So we're back with Batman and the team from Joker War, James Stein in the Fourth and 
Jorge Jimenez. What'd you guys think? We're back with the team that we were with all last year, and how are you feeling about it? I'm sure. I I mean, it's this one's. I don't know. I don't know how to feel about this. Like, it's really pre. What's we just come out of? All I can think of is this word Fortnite now. Future State. Fortnite, Future State. We just came out of Future State. And it's definitely connecting to that in like a beginning stages kind of way. So I wonder if we just got like a sneak peek and then this is all prequel stuff or I don't know. I don't know. But I don't know. I don't know if I loved it. I mean, it was fine. There was nothing awful about it. (laughs) I don't know if I'm excited. Like, I'm not disappointed, but I don't think I'm 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 excited about this. I, I don't know why. Maybe it's because the, the, the new scarecrow design scared the hell out of Steph. Maybe. <laughs> that is, is pretty. So which is worse? Uh, spinal Tap Riddler? Spinal, or... spinal Tap Riddler. <laughs> no question. I would. He, he's not that scary. You're putting words in my mouth. He's, he's I don't know. I have no coherent thoughts right now. It's been a long day. <laughs> but I don't know. There was a lot of little nitpicky things I had about this. I'm feeling a little dustin today. <laughs> and I don't know. Well, tell us if... some of the nitpicks. I mean, that's what we're here well, for. It's true. Okay, so, like, it really bothered me that Bruce took the autopilot out of the out of the Batmobile so you can be faster. It's like, if you're driving around town, you don't need to be faster. You're going to hit things, and you're going to hit things for sure if you take the autopilot out, and then you fly into your car, and he's like, it's okay, I just have the steering on set, so it'll just go straight. It's like, what? Ugh, stupid. And then, and he's too friendly friends with Ghostmaker. I didn't really like that because I didn't like how Ghostmaker came into the fold. I'm still not. I'll reread it, but I'm not content with his redemption arc. Can't even call it that. Well, but I think that it is fair to point out that Ghostmaker is not redeemed, but I think that's kind of the point. This is the starting status quo, but it's part of the story. Uh, There's a tension there that we're going to see boil over into outright conflict at some point in the next six months. Well, that might be a bit soon, but at least in the next year. I don't know. I appreciated that it's connecting to future state and the Kano's around and he hates the magistrate. And so you got to wonder what's going to happen, what's going to change his mind. Oh, man, I I thought it was hilarious that for the whole two months of future state, we're like, who's the magistrate? Who is Peacekeeper One? And then in the first issue, we were like, here's the magistrate. Here's Peacekeeper One. We're like, what? Okay, whatever. So so now that everybody has made their mention of, of future state, that that was my that was the one thing that really caught me off guard and not in a good way. I was not expecting them to immediately address future state stuff this soon. I, I, I was I was expecting a different arc, different stuff. If you sprinkle a, a little tidbit here or there, but I mean in one issue we didn't find out who created the magistrate program, who eventually is going to become uh, Peacekeeper One. I mean, it, it well, you know, and we and, and once we get through uh, Second Son, which is going on right now, we, I mean, we pretty much is going to have everything that leads up to Future States. I, I don't know if I was quite ready 
for that. I'm I'm still getting over, you know, the conclusion of Future State, you know. So I don't know, maybe maybe I'm complaining just for the hell of complaining, but I, I, I just I just don't think I was ready that soon. I I was hoping to have a more a more build up to it and and for it to just happen right as future state ends, I don't know, caught me off guard in a way that I, I don't think I was quite ready for. I think that's totally a fair complaint or anal- not even a complaint. I think it's a fair analysis. My personal opinion, my my reaction when I read this is like this to me makes it feel like Future State wasn't a waste. If you bought Future State and you were hoping that it would matter for the main line, that it wouldn't just be an Elseworlds that nobody cared about and wasn't going to be talked about in Infinite Frontier, well, this put those fears to rest. Future State is a big part of the ongoing story, even if we know that it's not necessarily going to turn out that way. It's a possible future, but all the things we know about Future State matter to what's happening now. And I think that is kind of cool that DC isn't just like wasting your time with kind of like Convergence, where you see a bunch of cool miniseries, but none of them matter for the future, except for Telos. <laughs> and I guess um, Superman actually did matter. But uh, everything else did not matter at all. But Future State with the immediate connection to what's happening in the mainstream Batman timeline, it mattered. So you're not going to have to throw away or just put in a little box that you don't refer to again, the future state Batman issues. It's going to matter going forward. And I appreciate that. I feel really bad for Bruce though. Like he's starting this issue being tortured quite graphically, horribly with his eyeballs anyway, (laughs) by, by scary face. Scarecrow. Scarecrow. <laughs> and then he goes, you know, to Future State, where he's on the run, gets murdered, but he's okay. And then he gets captured and put in a box and put in a train. It's like, poor guy. <laughs> he's green eggs and ham, you say? Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I, I... Batman's life always sucks, though. That's not new. I, I like the idea that this Bruce is trying something new. I guess, uh, since we brought it up, uh, what do you think, Theo, about the relationship between Batman and Ghostmaker? Well, I mean, we can all remember just, you know, from from the other arcs when Ghostmaker made his appearance known. I, was, I wasn't crazy about the idea of, of him joining the family the way it did. I mean, and the way it did, you know, pretty much makes it obvious that there's going to be this huge conflict somewhere down the line. But it also, you know, for me, diminishes, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't want to say the psyche, but the idea of of Bruce being this master strategist, you know, this, 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 that he, he's just so forgiving to think that someone you know who has done all that he's done is just going to turn over a new leaf yeah uh, i'm as much of a fan of ghostmaker as i am of the designer <laughs> i guess if that's the if, if that's the best way to put it i i think that's totally fair 
I would only say that I I think I could be wrong, but I think Tynan has learned enough about being a writer and setting things up that I think he's going to have Batman use this time where Ghostmaker is his ally to set up a neutralization. Similar to, I mean, you have those famous stories where he neutralizes the Justice League in Tower of Babel and, of course, Endgame. Like, he has all these contingency plans for his friends. I am hopeful that he's using this time to build a contingency plan for Ghostmaker. The problem is that since he's an anti-Batman, Ghostmaker will also have a contingency plan for Bruce. And that kind of chess game and cat and mouse is what I'm hoping this conflict builds into. We shall see. We shall. I mean, that's all we can do for a lot of these questions, but I wanted to see where you're, where you're feeling. What did you think about Harley's small part where she runs up and is like, oh, are these guys all billionaires? How do I, how do I fight crime with them? Uh, I hope it's not foreshadowing of her turning back because she seems really frustrated. And when you're frustrated, you got two directions. You can keep fighting and find different ways forward or you can regress. So I really hope it's not foreshadowing of the latter. Well, we know yeah, that. I thought, I thought it was the same thing, that it's going to lead her to some type of crossroad. You know, this may even, I don't know, lead to the whole Queen Ivy thing and she decides to follow her boo more than anything. I don't know, but yeah, it, that that's what that's what I was thinking as well. Is that we may see her continuously trying to be a part of the team and constantly failing at it, and end up saying, "Well, screw it, and I'm going back to what I know." That's a really interesting analysis, and I I don't know enough about Stephanie Phillips as a writer. She's the one who's writing the Harley Quinn title. And she wrote the Harley and Ivy backup story in Batman Urban Legends, this episode that we're going to talk about a little bit. We do know that it's building to Queen Ivy, that Ivy is going to have some revenge, especially after what happens to her that's been teased in Catwoman. She's been kept in a jar and used as an experiment. So Ivy's going to have some kind of massive revenge planned. And will Harley continue in the abusive relationship trends where she just goes to the person who she loves at the time and follows their moral guidance or amoral or anti-moral guidance? Or will she prove that she really does have a desire to atone for the people she's hurt and killed like Clown Hunter's parents in the wonderful Batman Annual Number 5? I mean, only time will tell, as most of these questions are. I mean, this is the first issue of a new arc, so a lot of these things are just kind of wild predictions we don't know for sure but i hope that we see more of what we saw in batman 105 and harley really just saying i know that i killed that i was there when your parents were killed i know that i led them joker to your parents restaurant and i can't bring them back and i do deserve to die but if you let me live i will work to try and make life better for other people to prevent what happened you know I hope that we can stick with that because I think that is the kind of acknowledgement we need. And one of the things I didn't like about the urban legend story about Harley and Ivy was that there is no acknowledgement that Ivy has done just as destructive and dangerous things to innocent people. Like I, I like what they're doing with Harley because it's an actual redemption. It's not just, Oh, Harley feels a little bad. And so she's good now. That's, that's not how redemption works. You have to work to, to become a better person, to develop good habits. And I, I am very curious to see how this plays out. Do you think that this issue is a good starting place? Or do you feel like you need to read 
Infinite Frontiers Batman section first. Oh, no. No. I mean, you may want to catch up on some other older Batman issues just to find out who Ghostmaker is, what's up with Harley, you know, get a little bit of history. But no, I I didn't feel like I, I read Frontier first and I don't feel like it added enough that I agree. Well, to be honest, I realized after looking at Frontier, I had only read half of the Batman entries, <laughs> but I still don't feel like I missed anything. No, I, I, I agree with Steph. And, you know, if anything, you you know, if if you don't know who this Ghostmaker guy is, you, you'll want to read uh, the arc prior to Future State to get an idea. But I don't, I don't think you necessarily need Three Infinite Frontier. Now, I can suggest uh, you may want to... If you haven't read Future State, you can hold off until this all gets over since it's acting as a prelude. I think that you guys are both correct. You don't need to read Infinite Frontier before reading Batman. I think you might have an argument for wanting to read Infinite Frontier before reading Joker, but we'll get to that later when we review Joker itself. And of course, we'll, we'll in Greater Gotham, we'll cover Infinite Frontier itself, which is only about five or six pages of Batman. But... Uh, one of the pages is by Jorge Jimenez, and that is the page that I have uh, suggested to my host for the cover, because I just think it is one of the best pages that Jorge Jimenez has drawn. And that's a lot of pages. Jorge Jimenez has done some amazing work on Batman in the last year, but I think that this Infinite Frontier and this Batman 106 have really shown that he's not done yet. He's still going to be pushing the skill envelope on what he does with Batman, and I think that's fantastic. Does Batman's economies now steph has already sort of addressed this but batman's cutting things down because he's no longer infinitely wealthy do these things make sense that he's cutting down safety margins for himself hoping that he can use it to um, save more people no because you're not going to save people by taking your safeties out especially if you're not going to be in your vehicle i was actually quite i don't know why it upset me quite so much but i was like what no you can't when he's dying and unconscious and sitting in the Batmobile, he needs the autopilot to take him home. Cutting costs make sense. <laughs> Taking the safety out is not where you want to cut costs. Yes, yeah, Steph said it for me. I, I thought that part was really kind of, for lack of better words, dumb. I know she said it as well, but yeah, it, 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 the idea that Bruce would would compromise. You know, his mission, you know, which is to protect the people of Gotham, to cut corners and it's not good. That's the best way I could say it. Yes, yeah, it's, it's just not smart. This part doesn't feel as well thought through as a lot of the other stuff in the issue. So when I was reading that, I was like, yeah, I can understand like the idea that Tynan's going for a hero, that Bruce cares more about saving people by cutting down the safeties for his own person. But I mean, the Batmobile going at a hundred miles an hour, <laughs> crashing into yeah. something isn't actually going to save people. That's going to be so much mm -hmm. damage. So mm -hmm. I agree. I, I hope that it's addressed, but we'll see what happens. And my last question is, what do you think about the new series of variant covers for a lot of the titles, uh, specifically, definitely for Batman and Joker? These are 1 to 25 incentive variants drawn by Riccardo Federici, 
They're black and white sketch covers. And, of course, the first cover is of Batman for this issue and Joker for Joker number one. I'm very excited for the upcoming number three variant for Joker, which is Jim Gordon, looking very classic. This replaces the Jorge Jimenez variant series where it was just a picture of a full-length body shot of a character and then little design sketches of them in different poses and different states of their costume. What do you think about this new incentive variant program for Batman and Joker? Um, I kind of wish they just kept the Batman family variant as the main cover because that one's the best. Um, That is the one I bought as well, yes. <laughs> I don't know if it would work for me to make me buy more. I would just pick my favorite. I don't think I'm the one that would buy multiple covers of any book yeah i i bought the family cover as well but i am i am somewhat opposite of stuff if there are some covers out there that you just can't resist having both and we were kind of talking about this offline before recording as i was uh making my comic book order just deciding do I want this cover do I want that cover and I think I'm just gonna settle for both you know so but yeah I I, I thought the the family cover was the best and that's the one that I did order I, I thought that was really well done but all of the infinite frontier covers that 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 are coming out this month and I, and I think they're doing a few more next month as well but all of the infinite Frontier covers, you know, these, the, I don't know if they want to call them family or generation covers. They all look nice. Those are the favorite ones for me. Yeah, I agree. Those themed covers for Wonder Woman, Superman, Batman, and they have like the whole family of that character involved. It's gorgeous. And I just love these little connections between titles so that your collection has more things that you have that tie it together. So there's more reason to buy a specific series of covers which is why i personally like these black and white sketch covers they're all by the same artist they're all of very high quality so i think that it is nice it doesn't really tempt me to buy more than one cover certainly but i do like the options you know and i guess what it what it does accomplish as it as it did for me you know because again you know i'm not reading Superman or Wonder Woman is, you know, for those who may not be following the book, but they just love those covers and want those covers. It, it allowed them to have a little gravy, you know, for those who are in that pool, you know, who may not be reading the book at the time, but just have to have that cover. Agreed. Do you think that Scarecrow knows Bruce's secret identity in the flash forward section of Batman? because he's not wearing his batman cowl really does not look like it well it's a little hard to tell it's not impossible but it it does seem to me his ears are showing you are correct well i i don't know because joker was it there's some there's some villains that like the secret which is weird people like joker they don't want to know or or i guess it depends on who your joker is right if you're Snyder's Joker you've always known but I don't know it also depends on how sane Crane is because he could have taken out the mask and been like well I don't know who this guy is I don't care torture him (laughs) so he definitely can see his face I don't know what that means for the identity yeah you you would think I mean you know Bruce has always had these contingencies for 
protecting the identity, but you would have to think the way he's restrained that if he doesn't know something's wrong with him, him being scarecrow. I mean, but but, but the way the way they've been writing these days, secret identities don't seem to hold water anymore that they used to. I am so unsure. I was just kind of why I asked the question because in Batman Eternal, which had a very similar opening with Batman being captured and the villain gloating over him, Cluemaster learned Batman's identity, but then was immediately killed and then probably apparently forgot it in the trauma. He's alive again, but I don't know what they're going to do here. This this flash forward I'm very puzzled with. So I guess we'll have to like all the other things we're talking about have to wait and see. But I can't but I but 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 I can guarantee I can guarantee this happened before future state. <laughs> yes, that is very true. It did happen before future state. <laughs> That's my last question for this title. Let's move on to the Robin backup. Robin Demon of Detective Part 1 Written by Joshua Williamson Art by Glev Milenkoff In Markovia, Talia's guards are taken out by Damien, who claims he's rejected Batman and come back to his mother. Talia mocks him, but they're interrupted by assassins. They fight, Talia urging her son to kill, and the story ends with an assassin holding a blade to Talia's throat, and blood flies in on the final panel. What do you think about using the Robin backup as a marketing tool for Detective Comics? Because this is the first part of a two-part story that will conclude in Detective Comics next episode. Well, it's either, yeah, marketing to get people to read tech, but the, I, I do wonder how many people are reading tech that aren't already buying Batman because historically, the sales for tech are always lower than Batman. Very, very, very few exceptions. And so I don't. I, I wonder if it's marketing as much as just shoehorning in a couple of extra pages of tech so that people get more Damien story. I don't know. I don't mind. <laughs> I'll take Damien in any book you want to give me, Damien. Or statue. Or statue. Um, for me, I wasn't thinking it was much of a marketing piece for Detective as it is a marketing piece for the upcoming Robin book. But I was thinking. That's what I that's what I could see happening. But I'm okay with it. I mean DC does it all the time. I have to admit I'm a little annoyed, especially since it appears that they've pushed the Robin title back. I would have preferred if it had been in two issues of the same series, so Batman 106 and 107, or Detective Comics 134, sorry, 1034 or 1035. But instead, I understand that they're trying to get the people who buy Batman to buy Detective Comics as well. But I, I don't like that. It, it just feels frustrating. I, I It just rubs me the wrong way. But that doesn't talk to the quality of the story what did you think about damien's new costume that makes him look like lagoon boy oh no no why'd you bring up the costume because everything was okay (laughs) i liked how mean talia was she's like she's 
I mean, yes, she's she's very mean. She's definitely acting more like a trainer than a mother, definitely. So I appreciated that that she's she's trying to train him back into the fold the moment he walks in. I thought it was hilarious that they both knew those assassins were there, but they thought they were for the other or or they were guards that the other had brought with them. So that they don't know why these assassins are here. I thought that was hilarious. I thought it was a good little setup, but yeah, Robin's new mask is is awful. Is it completely covers his ears and when your main superpower is stealth covering your ears is a horrible idea. He's got the little throat pokers of the mask sticking all the way down. They're going to poke him in the head. They're going to poke him in the throat. Yeah, he looks like Lagoon Boy. It's stupid. Yeah, I'm I'm okay with the costume, but that that mask is just atrocious. And uh, the sooner the sooner they dump that thing, the better I feel. That's it's it's yeah. Lagoon Boy is putting it putting it nicely. <laughs> Williams has promised that they're going to change his outfit soon, and there's a reason he's in this outfit. Do you think this reason could be? My personal bet is that. This is similar to he's the Batman a fan of the Deathstroke Boy. series, which is nah, that he's just a fan of. He he's trying to pull a ruse on Tali. He doesn't really want to join her. But what do you think? Do you think he's really in that dark a place that he wants to rejoin Talia? No, I think he's he's still feeling guilt. He's still feeling remorse, and I don't think he's the type to just give up and backtrack. I think he's he's on a mission to do something, to be something, to uncover something. He he wouldn't go back to to what he was. I don't think. And I I think Talia knows that. I think what we're gonna end up seeing in part two is that this is all just a setup from his mom. You know, she knew he was there. She knew he was coming, and and all of a sudden she's just gonna have an assassin who's able to catch her by surprise and hold a a knife to her throat. I, I I think it's just all a ruse on her part. So if there's if if Damien is up to something, so is Talia. So they're back to their their same old games. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad that we're on the same page. That not all is as it seems. Does this first issue of the backup make you more, less, or the same excited for the Robin solo title from the same team? A bit more, because I don't know too much about the series other than. There's some kind of tournament competition, which seems a little boring. So I'm hoping that's a bit of a either a red herring or a serious under explaining of what's going to happen. That that this is somehow going to make that story bigger than that little weird explanation. It doesn't for me. And I'm not not saying that to say that the issue was bad, but it's only because I, I know I'm getting the Robin book. Anyway, so my excitement hasn't changed because of it. I'd say this a little bit lessened it for me, but that's partly because I was a bit disappointed with the Red Hood Ravagers story, and I know Ravagers going to be part of this Infinite Frontier Robin run. But I'm still excited. I'm not. This hasn't taken away my excitement. It just lessened it a little bit for me. So, with all that being said, what do you give? Batman number 106, including the Robin backup, out of five scarecrows in bedrooms. Oh, gosh. Oh, that oh, was one no. creepy image. Uh, um, I do not like the gas mask. Ugh. This, because they're both starter stories, 
I don't know. Like, neither of them were fantastic. They weren't bad. Definitely just starter stories. So I, maybe three. I'd give the whole book a three. Based on story, I would say a three. But but for me, the art was good enough to make it a three and a half. If I could give it a three and a quarter, I would prefer that. But I don't I don't have that. You can do your quarters if you want. Three and a quarter. All right. And I actually, I, I think I'm going to go with my initial feeling and I'm going to go with a three. Uh, the art is really fantastic. And it's not that the writing is bad, but it doesn't wow me the way a lot of other issues by Tynan and him, him and his have. So, and the art, while good, I thought was actually better in the few pages that Jorge Jimenez did in Infinite Frontier. So it was just a little, definitely not a disappointment. This is awesome art, but it, it just wasn't quite pushing it over the, the good level for me. And that gives us a an overall rating of 3.1. Like, <laughs> Close enough. Close enough. Whether you are a first-time TBU Comics podcast listener, a 13-year veteran, or anything in between, we'd love to hear what you think about this episode or any of the comics we discussed. Send emails to tbu at thebatmanuniverse.net. Join our Discord server linked at thebatmanuniverse.net. Send us a tweet at tbu underscore comics. Or, if you're a patron, leave us a comment on our Patreon page. We'd also love it if you left us a review on iTunes. We'd love to read your comments on the next episode of the Batman Universe Comics Podcast. Batman may claim he works alone, but we know that he needs the Bat Family. Join the TBU Bat Family and let us know what you think. And now we will begin our review of the Joker number one. Written by James Tynan IV. Art by Guillaume March. Colors by Arif Prianto. Jim Gordon thinks back to the day he moved to Gotham and a fellow Chicago cop who asked him if he believed in evil, telling him of a cannibalistic serial killer he failed to catch, which Jim relates in his own life with the Joker. Today, in the aftermath of A-Day, see Infinite Frontier number zero, Jim thinks about Sean Mahoney, the guard who saved two nurses from Arkham, and how Batman once again saved more people than the police. Jim spends his days in retirement trying to track down the Joker with Batman's help. But he is approached by Cressida, a mysterious, hyper-rich young woman who wants to hire him to kill the Joker. Meanwhile, in Belize, the Joker reads the newspaper about A-Day after slaughtering a mansion full of people and laughs maniacally at the games to come. So, first question. Do you think we need to read Infinite Frontier before reading Joker number one? Because I think there is a stronger case for that, but I'm not sure that it's... You have to. What do you guys think? You don't need to. This story definitely benefited the most from Infinite Frontier. I, I did enjoy seeing... Batman saving the guy, it kind of connected when we met him later in the story, or earlier, later, I don't know how it works anymore, <laughs> uh, the the guard. Uh, so that that was a cool connection. And then being seeing Batman 
saving the day rather than just kind of sitting there and watching them extract the bodies from Arkham, which was really sad. So, of course, I laugh. But uh, 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 I yes, this one, though not necessary, it definitely benefited, I think, and enriched the story a lot. Yeah, especially if if you if you want to see the details of why Jim is now on the hunt for our favorite, not favorite, clown criminal. You know, you you may want to take a look, and, and again, you may you, you don't need to read all of the pages, but just those Batman uh, centric pages that's scattered throughout. You know, as far as picking up. What what is setting Jim Gordon on his trek? But I mean, there are editor's notes, so you don't you don't need to. But it'll be a good idea too. Once again, I agree with my very wise co-hosts. You don't need to, but it definitely does enrich the story. Which, if it weren't a seven dollar story, I wouldn't be as cranky about. But we'll t- we'll get more into that later with the actual. Infinite Frontier, Greater Gotham section. Do you like that Jim Gordon has gray hair again? And the explanation that Barbara was advising him to dye it so that he had more respect as commissioner? Um, I have very little opinion on that. (laughs) I mean, it does make you look younger and not in a vain sense, but in a confidence in your ability kind of sense. I think we have a bit of an ageism in America these days. And it's like, if you're old, you're on your way out. What good are you? So I, I think that is semi-clever and definitely adds to to, to good, um, what's it called? Retcon. <laughs> as far as retcons go. I, but I have no serious opinions on, the, on that. I thought it was a quite clever way of JT to retcon the, the gray hair bag. You know, I miss old man Gordon and so seeing him back the way we've always known him to be uh, was was pretty pretty nice so uh, I'm okay with it It, it, again it's weird but it fits and I I have no problem with it you know especially if we don't have to worry about him dyeing his hair you know kind of reminds me of my grandfather who would dye his hair cold black the first gray he saw and he did that till the day he died I'm just like why (laughs) but no issues for me I'm actually aggressively in favor of this I have been wincing every time I see Jim with red hair for 10 years because my Jim Gordon has gray hair he is an older man who has his flaws and one of the things I loved about this issue and I'm going to show my hand here I loved this issue is that you see Jim's strengths and his weaknesses. You see his unwavering commitment to try to be a better person, to be a man of integrity, but you also see that he falls, that his he betrayed his marriage with Sarah, his second wife. You know, he makes compromises. He judges people. So I, I loved that, and I love how the gray hair brings back that James Gordon that I've loved since year one so many years ago. I, I'm just... I, it may seem like a small thing, but it just shows to me the connection to the history of James Gordon that we lost so much of with the New 52. We lost No Man's Land. We lost, honestly, I feel like we lost the Jim Gordon from Black Mirror, even though we still have James Gordon Jr., which is also brought up. 
it doesn't feel like the same man who who lived through all those years as commissioner. He, he's just he's only been commissioner for like five years, so it doesn't feel like the same man. So I I really love the gray hair, even if it seems like a small thing. I'm going to ask similar questions both for this and the punchline backup. And this question is, we know that Jim can't actually kill the Joker. So where do you think this can go? What do you think a satisfying ending to this storyline of Jim trying to hunt down the Joker could end, knowing that he can't actually kill the Joker? Do you mean plot armor-wise or Jim's uh, morality-wise? Plot armor. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, it's just the fact that you can't kill the Joker. <laughs> he makes DC no, no, no. too much money. I just wanted to clarify because fake-out deaths happen all the time. I mean, the fact that James Gordon died in Batgirl twice <laughs> in the same run, you know. Um, anyway, we won't talk about that. I'm sorry. I don't mean to open a salty wound. but Tune in two- in next month when we talk about uh, Castellucci's new Barbara Gordon story and the salt will be fresh. Uh, Wait, what? We don't have to You didn't hear? Castellucci's writing a Batgirl story in Urban Legends next month and I am so upset. Oh, no. Okay, so Urban Legends is fine. I can just skip through that, but if you were telling me she was getting a new series, I was about to I was about to break something. Um, but I think I would be interested to see if the conflict, if James could eventually, or Jim, sorry, could cross that line. If his, if he finally had his very bad day or maybe his very bad life is now, I don't know. I, I, I think this will be more about a conflict about whether or not James, Jim, I don't know why I keep saying James, Jim is going to do it more than is, is Joker actually going to die? Because obviously he's not. But he could think that he is. J- Jim could think that Joker is dead. Um, so I, I'm, I'm more interested in the journey, I think, than the final outcome. Because, like you said, we 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 know how it's going to end. Will he do it? Of course, he he won't do it because, of course, DC can't kill off certain certain characters. Do we think he will be written to do it? I do not know. So we've been dealing with this this notion of the Joker bringing Jim Gordon to the brink, you know, going as far back as as the Killing Joke, and maybe even further than that. But now you you have this caveat of not only the Joker doing what he did to Babs, but he's now helped cause the death of his other child as well. And and who knows, maybe maybe Jim has reached that point, you know, to where he he could see himself taking out the man who's who's caused so much harm. I mean and so he's he's shot his daughter, he's drove his son to jump off a building and killed his wife in uh, no man's land. So, I mean, at some point, something something has to give, and this just might be it. But, of course, we'll see. We'll see the good old clown prince survive some type of weight like he always do. I think that's a really interesting question that I hadn't thought about that much. I was thinking more in terms of 
the plot line uh, instead of where Jim will go as a character. I was kind of assuming that he wouldn't, that he would use the resources of this hyper-rich woman um, and pretend to go along with the hitman assignment, but instead he plans to try and do something else. He doesn't know what. I think that he's going to discover that Joker has something even worse than the attack on Arkham planned, and he's going to be able to stop Joker's plan, even though he obviously won't be able to kill Joker. I think, he, I hope that the satisfying ending to at least this storyline, if not the, the series, is going to be Jim stopping the Joker's plan. And I think that would be really cool because it would mean some partial healing from what the Joker's done to him and taking so much of his family away from him. Well, well, I, I got something to say about that too, but I, th- I think it's more in another question that you're probably going to ask. I feel like they're building up the emotional stuff too much for it to be a Jim Gordon just does the right thing. I'm not saying he won't in the end, but I think there's going to be way more emotional conflict than just Jim outwitting Joker. I, I can see I can see Jim on the brink, you know, approaching the line, tiptoeing the line, a toe crossing the line and then something, a vision, a voice, a something pulls him back. That's how emotional I see it going. So I could see him getting to the brink of of pulling the trigger and you know, actually pulling at the trigger before pointing away somewhere else or dropping the gun something. That's how I could see it ending. So go ahead, Theo, and ask the question you were you're talking about. Well, no, no, not nece- no, 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 not necessarily the question. You were mentioning how, you know, you, you figured the Joker's gonna have something even bigger than a day, and that, and I think what's gonna happen, and again, it's gonna be one of the things that pull pulls Jim back is you know it, he realizes that the Joker wasn't responsible for. A day that it that it was at, at actually someone else. Now who that someone else could be, I don't know. But you know th- there were just certain certain parts of that story and how Arkham was taken down that could lead you to believe that that he wasn't the one behind the plan. I a hundred percent agree, and that was one of the questions: Did Joker mm-hmm. cause a day? And for me, the clues that he didn't are the attack doesn't quite feel like Joker's style. It doesn't make a big show. It just kills a bunch of people without any Joker gag. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's just it's not a Joker thing if there's no punchline, if there's no laughter. If, if right. there's no laughter, you, you, you can't see it being something Joker is known for doing. And the other thing is, Joker is reading the newspaper about A-Day in Belize, in the Caribbean. He he doesn't seem to be triumphing. He seems to be saying, someone is pretending to be me, and I'm going to find that person and kill them. Which I think 
makes this a really intriguing three-way game of cat and mouse with Jim Gordon, the Joker, and someone else who I'm going to bet is Bane, just because we know that Bane is a continuing presence. He's on this first cover. He's in future covers. I know he's supposed to be dead. We see him with the Joker toxin, but Bane's been presumed dead. So you actually think that was Bane? I think I think Bane was with our friend at the mansion. Uh. Simon yeah, Saint? I thought... Or Simon... No, no, with, with the lady. The god, yeah. the god guy. That's, oh, I'm yeah. Thinking the, the rich lady. Yeah, that's what yeah. I was thinking. I got Bane vibes from him. I, I got I think serious that Bane there's vibes. so much... I, I mean, I just think that this, this series is going to be such an exciting ride because there's all these threads. There's so many mysteries and the emotions and the characters are so deep and rich. I am... I am so excited. Is it sad that we're most excited about this Joker story? <laughs> it is not what I would have predicted uh, six months ago. So, so, so and, and, and here's my thing, and, and we've said it several times on the server, and, and I still believe it. This is not your typical Joker story. If, if you're going to write a Joker story that everyone can enjoy, you know, considering how everyone has said, you know, we need a break from this character this this was the way you do it because in the end despite the fact that the joker lives rent free in jim's head you didn't see him until the last few panels of the story and i'm okay with that i am a-okay with with that happening as, as someone who who is not who is as much of a fan of of the joker as I am of of Harley, and you know that I am not. This was a good story. All right, so let's move on to our summary of Punchline, which is written by Sam Johns uh, and co-plotted by James Tynan IV, art by Mirka and Dolfo. As Bluebird, Harper Rowe, and Leslie Tompkins attempt to assist the prosecution of Punchline, the witnesses are being killed one by one, and Punchline's fans fill the streets, clamoring for her release. Leslie sends Bluebird to Punchline's old college to see if she can find crimes committed before she donned the clown makeup. Meanwhile, Punchline confronts the Royal Flush's queen in prison, gleefully beating her bloody. That night, Harper sees her brother Cullen, who has joined the Punchline fan group, and after Cullen rejects her attempts to reconnect, she commits to tracking down Punchline and putting her in prison for good. So questions. How does Mirka and Dolfo's art work in this backup? Good. I think it's a little bit more the style I enjoy. I definitely like it more, more than, than William what? March. Oh, Gil March. More than William March. <laughs> like, it was good. And in fact, seeing as how most recently there was Spiny, <laughs> Spiny Riddler, this was definitely more pleasant on the Gilliam March uh, side, but I, I I liked it. It was maybe a little unpolished in some sections, but I really I, I liked it a lot. Yeah, I'm a big fan of of America and Dolfo. Uh, you know, she does a lot of good stuff in the Indies, and I'm a big fan. So you know, I had no no issues at all with the art. I'm not gonna go as far as putting her up against Gillian March because I'm a fan of his as well, but. No, this was this was definitely good work. I definitely enjoyed it. 
I actually agree a little bit with Steph because I think it was a bit more unpolished than she can do. And maybe that was on purpose. I mean, this is supposed to be a bit of a raw story with uh, really dangerous emotions and manipulations by punchline of many people. Um, but I mean, I've looked at her things like Unsacred, which, again, is not a safer work. It's not for kids, but it is a, a very beautifully illustrated comic. And there's a lot more uh, clean line and uh, just artistic control. Whereas this is a, a bit sketchier, a bit more, there's there's looseness to the pencils that expresses some emotion. So I think it's good, but I'm also a fan of Guillaume March. So I kind of thought that seeing the two different styles was really good to, to match the stories. Because Guillaume March is really good at horror and, and strong emotion. And Joker is all about those two things. And Mirka Andolfo can do horror, but she also can do you know those, those moments of connection, those moments of determination that I think are, are really well done. She could really do horror. <laughs> yeah. What, what's that comic she does that's... Um... Mercy. Oh, God. So so for the record, none of, none, none of America's stuff that I've read in the past few years is kid-friendly, either from an adult standpoint or from a horror standpoint. So whether you're talking about unnatural, unsacred, or mercy, don't give those to the kiddos. It is um, interesting, though, that they have the where Joker is just universally understood to be evil. And that's how the story begins is, do you believe in evil? And so you got Gilliam March's kind of grotesque. I mean, it's not. It's beautiful. But his style adds an element of that creepy quality, I would say, for lack of a better word. No, uh, whereas, whereas the... um punchline story she's appealing to the crowds the people are literally clamoring for her in the in the streets we got cullen hanging out with oh, the creepy boyfriend <laughs> Don't like, he makes me so uncomfortable um just because he's such a punchline fan and he's he's bringing cullen into I mean, the he's fold. clearly manipulating cullen yeah and oh, i think definitely. it's so interesting that they chose uh, a gay relationship a gay romance to bring Cullen in because it's not the kind of thing you'd expect with your your typical radicalization story like this mm-hmm. subculture that <laughs> approves of uh, of punchline is made up of you know the the fringe outcasts it's it's really an interesting story and I like the way they're playing it and I don't know if we just uh, well I'm just going to ask I don't know if we discussed this when we were doing Future State but in the outsider story was Agent Cullen Cullen the one the 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 mole. Yeah, that, that that was, and I know we never discussed it, but that was just something that that caught my eye, and I, and and I meant to bring it up while we were discussing the story, but you know, we we went where we went as far as the discussion was concerned. But I, I just wondering. I think that's a distinct possibility, given where he was, you know, in the punchline one shot, and where he is now. He's still just really committed to the punchline fandom. And so I could really see him being kind of compromised and willing to work with the magistrate there. That the art for the for the punchline story is a lot more accessible, I think. It's a lot more comic-ish, like, not cutesy. And again, these aren't proper terms for what's going on, but comparing the two stories, that this art is a lot more comic-y, a lot more friendly. It's got, you know, onomatopoeias, the whop and the... I mean, it's contrasted by the fact that, you know, Punchline has got bloody fists from <laughs> punching in the face of the um, royal flesh leader. But it it is interesting that 
the two different types of characters that Joker and Punchline are, are moderately reflected in the type of art that is chosen for this story. And the same question I asked about the Joker storyline. How do you think the structure of this backup will go with you have uh, Bluebird investigating Punchline's past, whilst Punchline is sort of taking over the prison like Kingpin in the Daredevil Netflix show? Uh, what would you like to see in terms of where it's all going? Hmm. This one's got me a little more confused because we don't... Mm, I guess we don't really have Future State to guide us on the Joker story either. But because we know so little about Punchline and her quote-unquote future, she doesn't have plot armor, but neither really does Bluebird. It's a little hard to tell where this story's going to go. I, ca I can see them maybe having the bad guy win in this one because she seems really, really clever. And I guess I guess we have Cullen still being on team punchline in Future State. Is that what we were saying? I don't know. This one's got me a little nervous. Dramas, I think, have me a little more nervous in my tum-tum than, <laughs> than, I don't know, the type of story that Jim is in, but um, I don't know. We'll see. I'm a little nervous. I don't know if I'm I'm nervous more than I'm uninterested right now. It, it, I don't know. It's just the story that we know that we're going to be getting with how she's going to manipulate the masses and and have this feel sorry story going on. I, I'm. I don't know if I have an interest quite yet. And, I mean, of all the people to put in a story with a character that I'm not sold on yet being Punchline, you have to go and throw in Harper Rowe as well and a young-looking Dr. Tompkins. And so I don't know if I have an interest just yet, just knowing that in the end... I could easily see Punchline winning because I see this story somehow making its way back to the main book at some point. And I think in order for that to occur, Punchline is going to have to win here. But right now, it, 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 it hasn't really caught my eye to do so just yet. I think that's a really astute observation. I think the fact that Tynan is still a co-writer on this story indicates that he does plan to bring the storylines together. And I love that. I love that so much. Uh, it makes the back, the, the punch, the, the backup not feel like just additional. It feels integral to what's going on. And I love that. I think that's so cool. My one hope is that. We don't have both the Jim and the Bluebird stories ending in defeat. I think one of them can end in defeat, but I think if both of them end in defeat, it will be too heavy. So I'm hoping that uh, what Theo says, where Harper's unable to stop Punchline, and that builds into Joker's big plan, but then Jim is able to stop Joker's plan from being fully successful. I think that would be a satisfying conclusion to me. I... Uh, 
let's get our ratings for this issue because I just think we we've really opened this story up and I am looking forward to where this is going. And again, if you told me six months ago you are going to be so excited for a Joker title, I would have laughed in your face because we were just in the middle of Joker War. We were still doing Dark Knight's Metal with the Batman Who Laughs, who was basically just Joker. I was Jokered out. But this... This issue, just the things that James Tynan and Sam Johns are doing with the writing and the focus on Jim. And for me, I I agree. I think a young Leslie is a little frustrating, but I love the fact that she's there. I, I love Leslie and I want her to be in comics. And I love the fact that she's in this, this comic. Well, perhaps we can get JT to retcon her back to her gray hair, too. Yeah, let's do it. Let's tweet him. <laughs> um. Okay, so out of nighttime monologues, so five nighttime monologues, how would you rate Joker number one, including the punchline backup? Oh my gosh. I'm going to have to give it a four. Like, the, like there's just so much discussion material. And the, the more you look at it and the more you think about the Joker story, the more there is to think about and mull over and look forward to. And I totally get where Theo's coming from with his not favoriting <laughs> of the backup but i think at this point i'm invested emotionally enough in the damage that punchline is doing to people's psyche and maybe that's just because that may be something i'm a little more afraid of is is being emotionally manipulated and so maybe i'm just a little more sensitive to it so i'm a little more emotionally invested in that story and so i'm also looking forward to where that one's going in spite of the young Miss Tompkins, who is suddenly a psychologist in a courtroom for no good reason, <laughs> and 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 didn't you know that a PhD and an MD are just like you know all the things at that point? You know all the things, and you're an expert in every field. Obviously, now to be fair, Leslie has been in a psychologist role since the beginning of Rebirth. This is something that Tynan has yeah, been pushing for a long time. Now it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but it is something he's been consistent on. Just because you're consistently wrong doesn't make you wrong. <laughs> <laughs> a good point, but I just I gotta stand up for my man Tynan. Um, Ty, uh, Theo, see, what are you gonna I'm, give this? But see, but, well, I'm, but before I do that, I, I don't remember Leslie being that way, especially in the Anarchy arc. You know, when when there was the. But in the victim syndicate arc, she was giving therapy to the team after Tim's death. Yeah, just make up your mind. That's... <laughs> so, She's the magic it, doctor holder. She just knows all the yeah. things, Theo. If she knew all the things, she wouldn't have that damn clinic that she has. She would have a big, huge place in the sky. Um, if, if not for the punchline story, I would almost be willing to give this a four four and a half the joker story alone was that good uh but counting the punchline story and again it it just hasn't caught my interest yet not saying that future issues will but right now i'm gonna give it a three and a half i i think i'm gonna give this a four and a half because this just made me so excited i was so just hearing Jim's voice in that classic year one style monologue or the, the black mirror style monologue. is just so good. It's what I wanted. 
and I am also engaged in this story of radicalization that you see with Punchline. I, I really am concerned with that in real life, and so I find the way that Tynan and Johns are doing that is really intelligent, and I'm very curious to see how it's all going to work out. I think the art is perfectly matched in both stories, and I just hope that they're able to keep these artists on schedule for at least six issues, you know? And if we have a switch, you know, with the next trade, that's fine. But I, I like it when they're able to keep an arc that's all the same artists. And so I just hope that these artists are, are up for it um, and hope with the monthly schedule we'll be able to do it. So four and a half out of five. And that gives our whole rating of the Joker number one, a four out of five nighttime monologues. For Greater Gotham, we just have two titles this week. One is a little larger, but we're just covering the two sections that cover Batman in Infinite Frontier number two, uh, zero. So we had uh, just a few sections of Infinite Frontier uh, devoted to Batman. It shows a day, and it also shows one of my favorite panels of the week, which is you have Stephanie and Cassandra fighting crime, and Stephanie tells Barbara, say it, it'll make Cass so happy. And so Barbara says, Batgirls on my mark, go. And you also have Helena, Huntress, talking to Oracle in the clock tower saying, this reminds me of something, something to do with birds. And I thought that was <laughs> hilarious. And also it was drawn by Jorge Jimenez, so it looked gorgeous. And then, of course, you have A-Day. You have the introduction of this, um, the guard, Sean Mahoney, who becomes Peacemaker 1, as we see um, between the two titles. Peacekeeper. So that's kind of important. We also see Bane as the first victim revealed, but I, I think that is a good chance that this is actually a fake Bane, that Bane himself is free and plotting against Joker. What did you guys think of these Batman sections for Infinite Frontier number zero? Well, I definitely didn't catch that Mahoney was Peacekeeper 1. That definitely makes it a little more interesting. The the Batgirl stuff is just fan service. It's cute. It's ni it's nice to have something to hang on to. And like I said earlier, the uh the uh A Day story really adds depth to whatever story that was. Batman <laughs> I'm so tired. I like seeing Catwoman fight. That was cool. Nice seeing Ghostmaker doing the right thing, maybe. I don't know. I am going to agree with Steph on this one thing in, in that until we get word announcement of a series, anything involving Steph and Cass and Babs and the whole Batgirls thing, whether it's Batgirls on my Marco or Batgirl Steph, the Batgirl Prime, I think it's just all fan service. You know, just go ahead and get it over with. Give us our book so you can take our money and... and call today but as far as as the story itself you know it's, it, especially if you're going to follow the joker story i think it was a good way to lead into it as well as to get to get readers interested who might not be in in the first place whether you're going into the joker story or uh somewhere down the line with future state i liked these pages but overall i did not like this book because it felt like a seven dollar book of trailers none of these were actually stories they were all just teases and that annoyed me uh, i like the hundred page giants because those give me 
eight to ten short stories that are supposed to be satisfying. And this one did not. So I like what it did for Batman, but I, I didn't like the overall issue. So that's kind of my take on Infinite Frontier number zero. I appreciated what it attempted to do. I didn't like how it was done. Because again, it, it it did what I guess DC wanted to do as far as have all these open-ended questions, but I just think there's a better way to do it. Yeah, each of these the kind of I'm kind of looking at the different panels in the Batman stories. And so now looking back after having read some of the stories, like you see Jason looking at some weird smiley face things. You don't know what they are. Well, after reading Urban Legends, you know that that's drugs. Uh, you see that first panel. It's probably Clayface coming out of a tube. I don't know why Clayface is coming out of a tube. Then we got some red haired lady who's yelling. We don't know anything about her. And so some of these are people we know. Some are people we don't know. We won't know anything about them, obviously, until, I guess, their story comes along. And it means nothing until then. So it's a little frustrating. And it really, yeah, only means something once you look back on it. And is that worth $7? Mm. And and I just hate, whether, whether we're talking about Infinite Frontier or Future State, I just hate, and I'm going to continue to say this, and people may get tired of me saying it, but the fact that they want to tie everything to metal is just, frustrating to no end for me and and the less I hear about metal the better I feel so can we just let it go off into the sunset I mean I know the answer is no but I, I don't like how they're tying all of this to metal when it really was not supposed to be the case I think that's a very fair comparison, although I myself am biased against metal as well. So the other title we have is Urban Legends number one. It had four stories in it. The main story is Red Hood, written by Chip Sadarsky, with art by Eddie Barrows and flashbacks by Marcus Toe. And anyone who's followed this podcast for a while or follows me on Twitter knows that I love Marcus Toe. It also had a grifter story by Matthew Rosenberg. A Harley and Ivy story by Stephanie Phillips, who's doing the Harley Quinn solo title. And an outsider story by Brandon Thomas and a new artist. Unfortunately, not Sumit Kumar, who's on Man Bat, but it was perfectly serviceable art. So what did we think of Urban Legends number one? This is a, a large title, 64 pages. It's a good price per page, but it really depends on how much you like each story. And it is $8. So what do you guys think? So this isn't the future state story right the no that's coming in may may that's right and that one's gonna be black and white i still don't right? understand that but yes <laughs> uh, yeah don't uh, yeah that's an that's a story for another day so i'm a little less confused now because i was like wow this is like super prequel so no this is just basically everyone who doesn't have a book this year or this time is getting a little bit of a, a, a mini book in this anthology. So I overall, I really like this book. I loved seeing baby Jason. I love seeing sympathetic baby Jason. Jason again. <laughs> baby Jason, he's so baby, he's so cute, baby. See, it's and... Marcus Toe. He makes everybody look so cute. <laughs> I really love the epic, oh, the kids' story just really, I mean, this is a good, this is a good way to tell a story that rips at your heartstrings in like whatever it was 10 pages just really really like the jason story even though they're cheating a bit having the orphan <laughs> having such a sad story <laughs> the ivy story i was i read that through the lens of of ian's comments either last time or the, at least the last time we talked about this which is is harley just going back to 
I don't know if it's necessarily an abusive relationship, but it's with an abusive person, definitely. Someone who does not have a love for humanity or morality that does not involve plants. So I did kind of read it through that lens, and I didn't... I use the term unhealthy because you can have yeah. an unhealthy relationship without it being abusive. And that's what that that's what I think. That's of. a good distinction. Thanks, Theo. Yes. 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 So because I think Harley is the one person that that Ivy will treat well, but that does not make Ivy a good person. <laughs> it's like how the Dursleys love each other very much, even though they don't raise Dudley well, but they treat Harry Potter and the rest of the world like, you know, third rate citizens gum on their shoe it doesn't just because they love each other doesn't make them good people and i felt that there's still hope for this story because i think ivy just or uh, that harley just misses ivy and that's fair i think that she maybe wants to find her and find out what happened to her and that's fair i think she can still be and i think it's a symbol of harley wanting to be the savior the rescuer and still go after Ivy. And then what happens between them when she finds her is going to reflect Harley's change. So I still have hope for the story. I'm not giving up on Harley just because she likes Ivy and Ivy's a bad person. The outsider story was good. It was a little confusing. Jumped back and forth a little bit. I don't know who this weird person is that keeps talking to Jefferson, who is the building. That was weird. I don't understand that, but that's okay. <laughs> it's a weird book. I, I can get behind that. And then Grifter, I actually enjoyed Grifter just because it kind of gave you a little back story on pre-Scary Face Lucius and what his relationship with Grifter was and why Grifter was there when Batman showed up in whatever it was, 105, 104. So I actually appreciated the the bringing the off-panel end to panel of Grifter, even though the Grifter story wasn't the best story. So two things immediately f- from for me with regards to this. Well, actually three. One, this was long. And that's okay because, again, price per page wasn't that bad. Uh, but seriously, oh my God, Chip Zdowski is so good. Whether, whether he's drawing or he's writing, I'm so happy he's writing a Batman story, even though it's going to focus on Red Hood. Uh, Chip Zdowski doing Batman is so good. And, and I hope if he's ever given a main Batman book at some point in time, memo to DC, make it happen, that we get some of what he's doing in Daredevil, because it is so good as well. And and from a psyche standpoint, Bruce and, and Daredevil are so familiar and so similar in a lot of their emotions. So I would I would love to see. Zazowski take over a Batman book at at some point in time. And number two, no matter the story, the art was absolutely beautiful in in all all four of the stories. And then you had the great variant covers as well. So, you know, those things alone made the book worth it for me. And then we got our outsiders. I also really liked this. The Red Hood story was really good. It felt... A little generic to me, but the execution was very polished. I just, I I am very excited to see what happens in the future with this, because I think it could be really good. I just hope that he does bring some of that Daredevil magic, because what he's doing over in Daredevil is, uh, you know, poking. It's using the familiar elements, but poking at them, uh, prodding them into different 
configurations. And I think if he does that with Jason, it'll be great. The Outsider story, just like the Outsider story in Future State, was very strong. It does, I mean, as I look back at it, the, the Outsider story was a little confusing that first issue, too, in Future State. So I think we just got to give it some time and it'll fall together because that, that Future State Outsider story was phenomenal. But am um, I supposed to know who the weird person is that Jefferson's talking to that suddenly is building I don't think so. I, if I had to okay. bet, I'd say he's probably the person who cursed Jefferson to become lightning. But I don't know. Yeah, yeah. We don't know for sure. Okay. That, that's what I thought. I thought that was the person who cursed Jefferson. The Grifter story, I think Steph brings up a good point. It is nice to sort of see the foundations, but uh, Grifter just doesn't really grab me. <laughs> I'm just not excited about him. And the Harley and Ivy, I think my co-hosts have just said so many really thoughtful things about what's going on there, especially Steph and Theo with their conversation about unhealthy relationships. I'm just worried that they're going to act like Poison Ivy's never done anything wrong because that really annoys me. It's one of my major criticisms of what Tom King did with Ivy is originally he's like, Ivy killed some people. And I'm like, yeah, because she's a villain. And then a bunch of people screamed at him on Twitter. And then he he retconned that and said, no, Riddler actually killed those people and made Ivy think she did. I was like, why? That's so convoluted. Why would you do that? So I hope that they address that. And I don't mind if they set Ivy on the path to redemption, but I don't like them doing so without addressing the harm she's done. So I really hope they do that. And I think that they have a chance to. I just don't know if they have the will to. Yeah, you, 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 can't, go, you, you, you can't get on the road to redemption without acknowledging all that you've done. Any, any, any other way, and it's cheap, in my opinion. Um, so overall, Urban Legends, I definitely think is worth checking out. Infinite Frontier isn't bad, but it just feels overpriced for what you actually get uh, not necessarily in page count you do get a lot of pages but they're they're all teases it's not really a satisfying story to me so that's my take on greater gotham let's move on to our listener feedback sorry to interrupt master booth ringing your phone now this needs my attention we actually got a couple things one from discord and one from youtube uh steph would you go ahead and read us caspian's comment Caspian on Discord says, maybe it's because I know Ridley is coming from a TV background, but the next Batman felt like a TV script to me. Everything you guys said about the pointless convos, family drama, even the action felt like TV violence and not comic booky. It would have worked better with a better, more gritty artist like Lieber Mayhew, but I doubt DC was willing to pay for a premium artist. I feel like Darrington was supposed to do the whole thing originally, but he noped out at some point, along with a lot of the plot threads from issue one. Needless to say, TNB wasn't my fave future state book. I haven't read Dark Detective. I think GLY's Batman slash Superman was the only decent Batman-related future state book I read, mostly because of the grim mood of the magistrate's slow takeover. Like, the whole Batarang thing with his mom was more violent than it needed to be. I get that he was going for a grounded approach, but I don't think it worked, especially with the artist. And yeah, should be more compressed. Appreciated the YOLO from Steph. It transported me back to 2012-13. My favorite Future State book have been Swamp Thing, The Justice League Dark Backup, League of Superheroes, kind of, Superman Worlds of War, for Janine mostly. I'll have to check out Catwoman because of your recommendation, and I'm also interested slash have heard good things about House of L and Immortal Wonder Woman. And Steph said she loved Dark Detective, so that too. 
Well, thank you for commenting, Caspian. I do hope you do check out Catwoman, especially because if you liked Swamp Thing, it is also Ram V, and Otto Schmidt just does a killer job on that art. A lot of good commentary on Future State. I had a better time than a lot of our listeners, and when I was talking to my local comic shop, there was also kind of a, phew, it's over, rather than, man, that was some good stories. I kind of felt that way, but that's partly because I only buy two or three stories. So when I was buying Robin Eternal, Immortal Wonder Woman, and Catwoman, that's three stories, and I had a great time, even though some of the other stories, like Batgirls, were a little disappointing to me. I still got some good stories out of it. Uh, but I definitely understand. There were a lot of missed opportunities with Future State. All right, so let's move on to uh, Caesar's comment. YouTube Caesar Diaz says, I was expecting a lot of Future State, but it was unnecessary and pointless for Batman, at least. Waiting for the old series to restart, hoping for true great material from Tynan. Thanks a lot, you guys, for this great podcast. Aww. Well, thank you, Caesar. As I said, I, I think I had a bit more, uh, a bit better time during Future State than a lot of people. But again, I definitely understand it. It didn't live up to its full potential, but I rarely see events live up to their full potential. I mean, I think back to Convergence and Future State and Villains Month and all these other events, very few of which actually lived up to the hype. So the fact that we got some really great stories out of it was a bonus for me. Uh, but we are. Infinite Frontier is here. We're here. We're on to the new thing. And I'm excited to see where Batman and Joker go. And I'm very excited to see what happens in Detective Comics and Batman Catwoman, which, um, spoiler alert, is the comics that we're going to be covering next episode. Uh, any comments from my co-hosts? Just that, I mean, Batman, I don't know if it's totally pointless, but it depends on what tiny-in direction... What, well, well, verbs. It depends on what... Di- direction Tynion is going to go, how much he's going to tie it into the future state that we read, and also what Second Son is like. Because watch them make Second Son and it maybe has nothing to do with future state. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, I think I think the third, third issue came out today. Well, the digital the first. The third, the, third, the third, yeah, the third chapter. Yeah, I think the third chapter released today. I just haven't I haven't downloaded it yet. Well, I mean that's not really relevant, but okay. So, <laughs> well, so for, for for me, for me, I am excited for two things right now, uh, and partly because I'll be reviewing it again. Uh, but I am excited for Helena Bertinelli and for Dan Mora. So. Mm, these are two I'm, things I'm that stoked. are very good to be excited about. I am stoked. All right. Thank you to Caesar and Caspian. And remember, you can join our Discord um, to, to leave comments. You can leave comments on YouTube. You can send us an email. Uh, the link will be in the show notes. Uh, or you can comment on the website. I'd like to thank our patrons. The following people have kindly contributed to the site, and we wanted to share our appreciation for them. We have Gerald Green, Joshua Lappin-Bertoni, Rob O, Real No Deuces, Tim Garassi, Stephanie Mounts, Ian Miller, Donovan Morgan Grant, Stanton Scrave, Donald Townsend, Ed Grouse, Brendan Roberts, Hannah Gar, Captain America, Mary Garrett, Austin Davis, Johnny McCloskey, Cesar Diaz, and Wayne Wells. Thank you all for keeping TBU on the air and we couldn't do it without you. Until next time, when again, we're covering Detective Comics and Batman Catwoman, I've been Ian. This is Steph. And this is Theo. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.
Hello and welcome to DC. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. <laughs>